Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is when you get a kidney transplant, they actually leave your old kidneys in your body most of the time, and the new transplant kidney goes somewhere in your pelvis. That's actually kind of gross. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can already see him sitting there or watching us on iTunes on our new iTunes video channel, is Jan Irwin, who runs a website called Gnostic Media. And he's here today to talk about two things. One of them is something called Trivium. And the Trivium way of thinking is really useful when you're looking at how your internal dialogue works or how you communicate with other people or how you rationally look at things you hear, especially in marketing or in mass media. So I think this is going to be an enlightening episode that's full of useful things for you. But we're also going to talk about transhumanism. And I'm very interested to hear what the uh, you know, kind of the opposing view here is. If you haven't come across Gnostic Media before, it's a website you could say is uh, a little bit out there. Jan, do you agree as your website considered to be a bit out there? Oh, I, you know, I don't know what you mean by out there. I mean, we, <laughs> we publish a lot of cutting edge research and we do publish a lot of primary documentation and things like that that people can fact check. But if you're not into fact-checking and verifying citations, it's probably out there. I mean, if you like just made-up stuff that you pull from the Pleiades or something, our stuff is probably pretty out there in comparison to that. <laughs> from the Pleiades, I love it. And by the way, I well, could have said Uranus, but, you know, the Pleiades. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. Uh, what a great opening. And uh, uh, when I say out there, I don't mean out there as in uh, a negative, you know, fairyland, uh, but you've got some pretty alternative views and you do um, an almost obsessive amount of research and fact checking. Uh, I've seen your, your large database of relationships between different things and you're, you're definitely spending a lot, of, a lot of cognitive and rational cycles looking for the truth behind things, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. 
so let's jump right in on this about the trivium method. Can you help all right. our listeners understand? Sure. Well, you know, the, the trivium method is actually something that uh, someone named Gino Dinning brought to my show back in uh, 2009. And it's based off of the ancient classical seven liberal arts, although it's sort of the inverse of it. In uh, ancient Roman times, only the elite class, the ruler class, were allowed to study the trivium and quadrivium or the classical seven liberal arts. And they basically use these arts to keep the slaves under control. And uh, so what we've done is we've sort of leveled the playing field and put the trivium out for all of the slaves instead. And so, uh, you know, everybody gets to see how these tools work and when how they're say, used. When you say all of the slaves, you're talking about, like, everyone listening to the show? Well, the, the, general, the general masses of, uh, if you're not a billionaire, you're a slave. Let's put it that way. And so, uh, you know, the, when, you, when you get into the classical seven liberal arts and you begin to study how they put uh, logic and thinking together, essentially, and especially for what's fed to the people, you can see that there is a constant barrage of intentional manipulation going on there, especially in the mass media, television commercials, radio commercials, pop culture, media idols, all of this sort of stuff. It's, it's all designed to play on, on people's emotions. Now, the, the trivium is grammar logic and rhetoric and it's it's essentially it breaks down really simply grammar is the the components that make up reality all the things that we look at my microphone the the microphone cable the the camera that we're looking at the computer in front of me etc these are items are all they're all nouns actually and so when i see them i can identify each one and know all the things here on my desk that i'm dealing with and so essentially the 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 grammar aspect is who what where and when. And then the logic aspect is actually why. And you know, you're a, a computer, former computer tech designer guy, you helped invent cloud technology, etc. So if we think about it in terms of computers, grammar would be the input into the computer, like the keyboard or putting something into the CD-ROM drive and it's getting the information in there. Uh, the, the logic aspect would be the processing. And uh, it would be removing any contradictions in the things that we see, recognizing contradictions as errors or lies, spotting any fallacious arguments coming in as well as fallacious arguments within our own minds and making sure, you know, like uh, a lot of uh, the most common arguments against my research, they never address any of my research. They'll just name call at me. Okay, so, uh, you know, what, what this is is total avoidance. You kill the messenger and to actually attack the messenger and completely avoid the actual message itself. Now, the last aspect of the trivium is rhetoric. And so in terms of a computer, that would be like the output, what you see on the screen, what comes through the speakers, what comes out of the printer, etc. So we have grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Now, if you were a computer and you put the logic aspect of the processing before input, what would happen? Essentially, you have a system failure, or as the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, or we might have a virus and a complete collapse. But essentially, the computer, any output that would come out of the computer, it has to make up on its own without any input. And so, you know, that was my joke regarding the Pleiades a minute ago. We have to channel it. We have to make it up. And we ignore any facts in reality around us. We basically, you know, this world... These things, you and I here talking, it doesn't exist. So now if I'm driving in my car in traffic listening to this podcast like a ton of people do now, how am I going to take what you've described there and apply that to what I'm doing now or what I'm going to do later today? Well, you know, while you're driving, I suppose, if you're going down the freeway, you know, quick action response. Obviously, we have our animal primal instincts, but uh, using a little bit of critical thinking and not thinking, oh, you know, well, you know, my, my ego is just something that's bad for me, and it would be better if I just collided into this car. You know, you could actually use it to stop something. But, uh, you know, here's the thing is you're, you're dealing with all the items in your reality, all the things that you need to do, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon. I have these business meetings, I have these things that I need to do. So what you're able to do is like you basically create a mental image of all of the nouns, all the things that you're dealing with. 
And then you can go through and figure out the most logical way to deal with them without using fallacies and things like that to come to conclusions. What, like, what's an example? Show, show me like a, a common fallacy conclusion loop that you're talking about. Okay, well, a common fallacy would be like, well, you know, I'm supposed to have a meeting with this guy. He's been trying to have a meeting. He says it's important. I've never heard as much. I think he's an idiot or a jerk or whatever, so I'm going to dismiss his message. You know, here's, here's the thing is if, if we think of it in terms of like, let's say it's the fool on the hill, okay? And, and one side of the hill, we have a village that's at war with the other side of the hill. And one day the village idiot, he comes running down. The, the army on the other side, they're coming to kill us. They're coming to kill us. And everybody said, oh, it's the fool on the hill. It's like the boy who cries wolf. Nobody wants to believe him. Or you can just, you know, you know, I know this guy is the fool on the hill, but just in case, I'm going to go do some five-sense reality checking. I'm going to go stick my head up over the hill and take a look. Oh, look at that. There's an army coming. Now I can go and organize myself and my troops and, and be prepared. So rather than dismissing information with fallacies, we take it in, we consider it, we look at it, and then we make a logical decision on it. So, so in an attempt to break this down to some simple principles people can use, tell me if I've got this right, we're, we're talking about applying a rational logic loop to whatever you perceive to verify that it that it's what's actually there. right okay. and not only that but the loop itself has a way to to check to make sure that the information really is there okay okay so so essentially what it is is this it's a systematic method for deriving certainty with any information coming in via the five senses and so you know instead of saying uh you know just a lot of times when pe people will hear things from outside sources and then they just repeat it without checking it. Okay, yeah, so that's what you called, do is that's called the internet, right? Well, <laughs> okay, and a lot of people say, well, anything is on the internet, so therefore it's wrong. But it's actually a systematic way to go through. Did the person use citations? Can I verify these state citations when I look them up? Do they check out? Is the person uh, using name-calling to dismiss someone's entire argument? Do they use a straw man or false represent the argument? So, like, if you're approaching uh, information, for instance, you would look at both sides of the information. Now, in my own case, I've done a lot of research on MKUltra and the psychedelic movement, etc. A lot of people will attack my research without ever reading it. They won't have an, a single iota of a clue of what my research is about. So what they'll do is they'll attack me name-calling because it challenges them. So then if you're able to sit them down and get them to look at the work first, then they're actually able to judge it and compare it. Now, sometimes there's cognitive dissonance and things like that. So then the idea with the logic aspect is we can recognize our own fallacies that we use to trip up our thinking and, you know, get back on the right path. Essentially, you know, what uh, maybe a good metaphor would be, it's like we have a, a jar and uh, it's our slime jar, okay? And, and what we do is anytime our emotions start getting in the way, we open up the jar, we put our emotions in there, we close it up, and then we say, okay, now what are we looking at? Am I letting my emotions or beliefs of religion or love and relationships or of, you know, my biases about this or that fact get in the way versus the facts themselves? So it's, it's essentially the way that our brains work naturally when we're not uh, conditioned to think with a lot of fallacies. Now, logical fallacies, they basically come in three categories, relevance, presumption, and ambiguity. And so when we recognize these three different categories of fallacies, and these are just the informal fallacies or, or mostly spoken fallacies, and they're written or formal fallacies as well. But when we begin to recognize these fallacies, we can filter them out of our thoughts, verify the information, and then know for certain that that information is true or false. Okay, let's assume that someone listening to this has said, all right, I, I want to try this, and I'm going to start doing it now. Like, What's step one? Well, step one is I would actually take a good study of the Trivium. Like, for instance, our website, TriviumEducation.com, we've put a, a ton of free information up there for people. Uh, because of the history of the Trivium, we've never wanted to charge for the information, so we've put all of that information up on the Trivium Education website for free. But interestingly, other th when, you're, when you're using it in daily life, it's always grammar, logic, rhetoric. But to get to start out, because some of the concepts and in general grammar actually need a little bit of logic. We actually recommend people 
begin studying a little bit of, of uh, logic foundation first. Now, for us grown-ups, us adults learning this stuff, it's a little bit trickier because, you know, historically the, the classical arts were taught in elementary or, or, you know, grade school level. And so, you know, in a society that doesn't have it, uh, the adults have to go through sort of an entirely different process to pick it up. I mean, you know, we were taught who, what, where, when, why, and how in, in second or third grade, but we never really got what it all meant. We never really got that who, what, where, when, why, and how is how we gather all knowledge around us from the entire universe, all those nouns, adjectives, everything that you that's, see around you. That doesn't pass my logic filter. Okay, how is that? The reason for that is that the auditory or visual ways you read, sure. which is visual, or auditory, you hear sure. words, you also sure. hear bird song, you also sure. smell things, you feel things, you taste things, right? Sure. So what you're doing when you start using grammar on top of all those is you're now thinking in words, and you're obviously a word thinker, but there are people who are visual thinkers. Sure. And there are people who don't so even now, speak who also okay. are capable of logic. So I'm not sure it always right. starts with grammar. Well, you know, here's the thing is when we think in, when we put strings of logical ideas together, they're done in words. Okay, we have this word for a computer. I mean, we can talk about things that we can't identify. I mean, mystics love to bring up stuff to speculate about all day long. But uh, two people who are capable of rational functionality should be able to say, you know, Dave, this is a microphone. You can see the microphone. Can we agree that this is a microphone? And you say, no, that's a horse. I mean, we, we have a serious problem here. Well, except stevia. 20% of us think it tastes bitter and nasty, and 80% of us think it tastes sweet. Okay. So how well, do you resolve it, that kind of thing? Like, like some stuff that we perceive okay. is important, yet we don't all perceive the same thing. Okay. It, it, it's not necessarily if we like the flavor of, of stevia or dislike it. It's whether we can identify the stevia. It's whether, you know, I mean, if you and I can look on this page and we can see the words here and we can see, okay, right at the top it says Dave Asprey there. So can you yeah. agree that that says Dave Asprey? Of course. So, okay, so we can agree. We can, we can get on the same page. And in fact, that's what that means. Now, if, if we disagree that that says Dave Asprey, then we have a problem. And then you and I, if we're willing to recognize that there is an error somewhere, then we can go back and we can review it. Now, it's not to determine whether or not you like the chicken, the flavor of chicken better than beef. I mean, it, it's, it's to determine the nouns chicken and beef exist and that is there, are you eating chicken right now? I don't see you eating chicken right now. Okay. I mean, you're not, you're not dribbling it off your face or anything. So we're able to take things in from five sense reality and verify them. Uh, aesthetics, things like this get into the higher arts, you know, fine wines, fine foods, whatever you want to get into. These get into the aesthetics, things that are above the, the quadrivium in the study. But the trivium is really just focused on the components that make up reality, the things that we see. If I look out the window, well, I see the glass of the window, I see the blinds, I see a wall outside, a street, a car going by. These are all nouns, but, things that, don't, that I can identify. Don't those things exist whether or not they have nouns? What about things that, like, say, a new sure, element? But was, sure, sure, but I mean, uh, humans, when we interact and when we discuss them, when we want to talk about them, we bring them into what is called the commons. Okay, and so if there's a new element, okay, if you make up an element, let's say you channeled it from Uranus or the Pleiades, and uh, you can just say, okay, I have this green fairy element sitting here. And you say, well, I don't see it. And I say, no, it's right here. You, you don't believe me. You're not, you're not spiritual enough. You're not this or that enough. You're just not perceiving, and I'll use some attack against you. When in actuality, the onus of proof is entirely on me to show this new element or that this fairy exists. Now that we show that the element exists, we, you know, multiple people can pull it up under microscopes, we can verify it. Now it's on the table, it's in the commons. All of us have common sense because of the commons. It's things that we can pull up on the table and we can look at. Now we can speculate about things that aren't on the table, the, the green fairies and the magic and the ghosts and things that we can't verify in reality. But then we get into what is known as arguing the arbitrary. And in logic, arguing the arbitrary, we can argue possibilities all day long, but it doesn't really get us anywhere. So 
when we get back down to the grammar aspects of reality, then we, we can say, okay, well, these are the things that we're actually dealing with. These are the things that we need to discuss. And then we can focus on them rather than could be, should be, maybes, and possibilities all day long. And, uh, you know, going back to the idea of, of just, uh, you know, arguing the arbitrary, possibilities are endless. I mean, you know, you could say, oh, well, what if it's this or what if it's that and what if it's this and what if this really happened? And we can literally create speculations all day long. But what are the things that we're dealing with first? How do they fit together? Is it logical? And when we come across, you know, where we have to make leaps of faith without any evidence or when we have to name call it people to dismiss evidence or, you know, I'm going to call Jan Irvin crazy because he dared to you know, say that McKenna, he dared to believe McKenna's own words and say that McKenna was an agent rather than arguing like the rest of us that McKenna was lying when he said that. You know, so, and, and we have done a lot of background on this stuff. So we can actually go in and we can look, do we have the evidence to support this hypothesis okay. versus just making arbitrary speculations all day long with no evidence? So, so the onus of proof is very important. Within the, the trivium, uh, the the way of thinking uh, and evaluating reality um, that you're working with. What if 50% of people say, I see the green fairy element, and they can identify whether it's there or not there, and 50% don't see it? What happens okay. there? Okay, well, here here is an issue. If 50% can see it, they should be able to show it to the other 50%. Have you ever found anything? Uh, for instance, uh, if I hold this pen up, mm -hmm. is 50% of the population going to say that this pen doesn't exist? Uh, no, but 50% of the population may say love doesn't exist. They may say that the bitter taste in stevia well, well, doesn't well, exist because they love, cannot detect it. Sure, sure. Right. Love love is an emotion, and okay? And like okay. I said, you know, the trivium is is not about deciding whether or not you like or dislike the flavor of stevia. No. It's, it's understanding if stevia exists or doesn't okay. exist. There is a bitter okay. taste in stevia. I would stake my life on it, yet you probably don't taste it. H how does that work? It is there. I can sense it, and some people can sense it. Some people can't. Yeah, I'm not sure if I like stevia or not. I mean, it's no, something. I'm not talking about liking. I'm talking right. about the presence of a bitter taste. Okay, but like I said, we're not. We're you know the the trivium aspect is dealing with grammar. Is dealing with mm -hmm. the items that compose or make up reality. So, is you liking or disliking, or is stevia being bitter or not part of it being in reality or not? No, so, it's not. So, so stevia, we do is, know both an, people can. This is what important. I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is, if I have a, a, a bottle of stevia sitting here, mm -hmm. you and I can both agree that the stevia bottle is here. We don't have to agree if we like the flavor of the stevia or not. We can both agree this is a bottle of stevia. We can look at it. We can smell it. We can, oh, we can even taste it. And be like, yep, you know, whether you like it or I dislike it, we can both agree and come to the the fact that the bottle of stevia is there now in this case it's not there it's in my cupboard and i don't okay. use it anymore so, so let's put it like this we don't know what's in the bottle so there's a bottle of stuff and one of us takes it says it's a bottle of sweet stuff and the other one says it's a bottle of bitter stuff and this is a seems like a trivial example but what i'm getting sure. to here is there are some things Okay. That some well, see, people we, can perceive. One sure. person's blind. I see this. Well, no, what I don't I'm, see it. Okay. <laughs> now, okay. But if if uh, a person is blind, you mm -hmm. can go up and say, okay. Well, I'm holding a glass. Can you feel the glass? And the and you can take the blind person's hand and put it on the glass. The blind person can sense if this is in reality. Now, is the glass half full or half to empty? Well, the person can put his hand in the glass and feel there. Oh, look. There is something. Okay. Oh, it's water. It smells like water. Yeah, then let's talk so, about fog. Again, we're not. We're not. We're not. Okay, fog. Yes. I mean, if we go outside <laughs> and uh, you know we're driving down the mountain highway here and it's really foggy, you know you're going to get a line of cars all bunched together. They're driving slow down the mountain. They have poor visibility. They can probably agree that it's fog. Now, a blind person, they may not see the fog, but I, you know, if we take them out of the car, can they feel the moisture and humidity on their skin? Can they feel the cold, you know, the cold dampness in the air, et cetera? So there are ways through five sense reality that we can verify things out there. We don't live in a Kantian quantum delusion where we just make it up. I mean, you know, Dave, I mean, uh, how come not, you know, I, I'm just going to will it and I'm going to be sitting in your seat and you here. Um, Wait, it didn't happen. It sounds like a... Oh, darn. Sounds like a oh, good movie, well, though. 
It sounds like, I mean, it, you know, it sounds like I, a I get it, dozen so. movies already made. But, you know, essentially what we're dealing with is components that we can verify. Now, if I hold up this glass, I can tap it, I can smell it, I can taste the water in it, you know, I can hear the sounds it makes, etc. I can feel it with my okay. hands. So these are all things that we can verify in Five Sense Reality. Again, going back to the words on the page. We can verify okay. each of the words on the page. Now, if somebody refuses to read the page, that's entirely different. They can say, well, I, I'm just going to ignore it. But then they don't know the grammar or the contents of that page, and they have no standing to discuss it. So let's, let's talk about how someone... Okay, so the first step someone would go through to understand uh, the trivium is, well, obviously read the stuff about it. Okay, so let's assume someone's read about it, and then the next day they're saying, all right, I'm going to start applying this to my life. Like, what's it going to do for them, and how will they go about applying it? Well, you know, at first, at first there are steps. Essentially what happens is you start to learn it, and most people pick up on the logical fallacies first, and uh, because especially the informal fallacies, because they're the, the quickest and they're the funnest to learn. And you can sit there and you can you know, debate with your spouse or turn on the TV or listen to the radio and just watch the fallacies come at you and see if you can identify them. TV commercials are fantastic. Your average 30-second TV commercial will run about 40 different fallacies. And so if you can identify the fallacies, you can actually see how the media is beginning to manipulate you. The Give first me an thing, example. Uh, I, I'm not sure that, that okay, most of the people well, uh, this are understanding what you're saying. Um, okay, at, well, at a logical a, fallacy, let's say, uh, you know, it's a, it's a commercial for men's hair products and, you know, they're playing on men uh, balding or going gray. Let's use the gray thing and, you know. You're, you're not going to get laid if you don't get our, our hair darkener. So what they're doing is, you know, they'll show pictures of women and the woman's knocking on his door, you know, or if he's got his gray hair, there's just no chicks coming at him at all. He gets some of this hair dye. All of a sudden, the women are running down the street. These are appeals to emotion. Essentially, they're appealing on the guy's fear of, of being single or being alone and all of these types of things. So when we learn to understand how these, you know, the appeal to emotion fallacies work, then we can see, oh, you know, they're, they're using these things. Or a Budweiser commercial, you know, oh, they got the four girls with the Budweiser across their chest. Oh, look, it's an appeal to sex. They want me to associate boobs with beer. And so these are things that when we, when we begin to comprehend how the logical fallacies work, then we can catch them, filter them out through information coming in via our five senses that we were just discussing. Now, what if, now, what if, Jan? Let's say I, I've read the studies that say that um, being with a uh, being with a partner means you have less chance of dying at a young age and less chance of having cancer and high blood pressure. All those are true, by the way, if you're in a good relationship, All right? So you've decided you want to be in a good relationship. Now, the guy selling hair product online says, "Okay, so you have a better chance of being in a relationship if you buy my." chemical hair stuff. Um, am I not being a rational person if I pay more attention to that ad because it's something I'm interested in and I know that it would benefit now, me? Now, is the the person who is presenting the information, he's saying, now here we have 15 studies that show these specific facts. These studies have been verified through all of these different universities and and peer-reviewed, etc. We know that these things are true. This is why I'm saying this. You will be healthier if you find a spouse but you know what? I'm not going to associate it necessarily with a beer commercial or with insecurity of my hair color. Now, I suppose if you think that you're going to get into a strong, long-lasting relationship over your insecurity over your hair color, then you might want to <laughs> rethink that. Okay. So that's a fair I mean, point. So you know, uh, you know, these are things that we can we can look at. You know, is my being uh, fearful over my hair color? Men have been getting bald forever. And, you know, people, as they grow old, their hair changes. Is this something bad or is it, you know, I can be considered wise. I can, you know, I mean, certainly I have more wisdom than my seven-year-old. And, you know, not that my seven-year-old isn't quite bright and doesn't learn very quickly as he does. It just means that as we get older, we have more wisdom, we have more experience. And hopefully with a little bit of critical thinking, we can learn to filter our emotional fallacies out now, going back to what I was saying, though, as the information comes in via the five senses, we learn to filter the fallacies and false information out. We're, ch we're essentially checking it instantaneously as it comes in. Now, we also have all of this information in our minds. Now, 
85% of the information in most people's minds has not been verified. It's just stuff that they heard somewhere else and they typically repeat it. Now, hold on. So was, now, that, was that 85% from a study? Well, you know, it's it's something that, <laughs> that that we've my friends and I have discussed at quite some length. And I mean, just doing a a and I, you know, it's like, ooh, check mark. You know, what's the what? What are all the items in my mental palace that I have verified? But let's just say, you know, without a percentage, most of what most people know is BS. They have not gone out and verified information themselves personally, and they say, well, that would take too much time. Well, let me put it another way. You can go through your entire life with false beliefs and not spend five minutes to check them. So what is faster? What is better for you to make proper decisions on down the line in the future? Going out and spending five or ten minutes. I mean, today with Google and things, you know, it often only takes a few minutes to verify if something is true or false. Or if you look it up and right away the person is name calling, oh, this is false because that guy is a jerk. It's like... Well, that didn't address a single point he raised. Calling the guy a jerk is just name-calling. What does that have to do with anything? So then you can look through that. Well, he's a jerk because he lied about this, and here's the citation. He lied about that, and there's the citation. And we can go through and we can verify these things. And you can say, aha, okay, here's more facts, here's more information. You can also dig down further if there are still contradictions and get down to the truth of the matter. But the idea is that you have a systematic method to filter information coming in via the five senses. And also, after what happens, and going back to your question about you know, when people start to learn it, what happens is after about two months, people begin to catch the fallacies in their own thoughts and remove them. And, you know, and, and you'll see people start shedding a lot of false belief. That's why I wanted to have you on the show was because of that thing. If you develop the critical thinking skills and you start applying them to the weird crap that comes up inside your head, pretty soon you start becoming aware of behaviors you're doing that are not based on reality. They're based on amazing edits that your nervous system can make to reality. Uh, exactly. So this is one of the paths uh, that I've identified to developing more awareness of those weird internal what I started calling the meat operating system, you know, the, the things that are going on in your, well, in your you know, body. Well, let's, right? let, me, let me just interrupt you saying let's use Dave Asprey as the perfect example here. I mean, you know, we have uh, Sally Fallon, Dr. William Davis, uh, Dave Asprey, pretty much the, the key people out there, maybe Denise Manger, uh, the key people out there uh, getting people back on, health, on a healthy dietary track. I mean, uh, if I go to the, the local grocery store, and I see the woman over there in the bread aisle buying some bread and buying low-fat milk over in the dairy section, and it's pasteurized and all this stuff. And I walk over and say to her, you know, that stuff is really bad for you. And she would might look at me and say, well, you know, my brother had a heart attack and died at 42. And it's like, okay, well, what does that have to do with low-fat milk? Well, my doctor says that high-fat and saturated fats is bad for you. You know, obviously, there is a lot of disinformation out there, and people like yourself and Dr. William Davis, Denise Manger, Sally Fallon, have spent years going through and pulling up the facts that saturated fat is not bad for you, that the polyunsaturated fats cause oxidization and poison us, that the, you know, grains contain mycotoxins, the the proteins we can't process, they're loaded with sugar, you know, all these mycotons, all this stuff that we can't deal with. So you guys pool together all of these facts. And you know what? I can personally tell you, Dave, after having you on my show twice, that out of maybe a thousand respondents between yours, Sally's, and Dr. Davis's shows, 100% of them, without exception, were positive feedback from people saying that they had dramatic life and health turnarounds. Not a single person, period, wrote me to say, I went on a high-fat diet, I started eating the butter and the salt every day, and it made me sick and worse. Not a single one. In terms of full disclosure, I finally found one guy uh, out of oh, you did. hundreds of thousands. I had one guy who got liver ischemia, and we still don't know why. I'm working with him on figuring it out, and you know he's talked with his, his doctor a lot. And I, I don't know if it's genetic, but now we have one case study of someone who didn't do better on the diet. But out now, of the sample size, what, it's amazing. 
And then you have to, of course, dig down and do your grammar going back to this issue and find out what happened, where the contradiction was. Was there some other factor in his sure. health or environment or whatever that actually caused that? We're working on that. Uh, so it, it's, it's actually gratifying. Thank you uh, for letting me know that you've had that kind of response. That's what this is all about, right? Sure. I mean, you know, and I, well, I did that show with Mike, just to interrupt you real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike, uh, what was his last name? Um, Adams or something. I forget. Yeah, but we Health did a Ranger. whole show. Mike on, Adams, he's awesome. Oh, uh, no, uh, no. The, no. the guy who had cured his uh, MS, excuse me, while I pull up my own website here. Terry uh, Walsh. The guy, who had, uh, the guy who had cured his MS it's not a with uh, your advice. Uh, Michael Adams, curing MS with the you know, paleo diet. I just oh. simplified it with paleo. But uh, that was the guy that had wrote after our show. He had MS. He couldn't. Uh, he had a three-year-old son. Couldn't take care of his son. Couldn't work anymore. And after a few weeks of no weed and high-fat diet, he was back in high gear. Wow, uh, I, that's so cool. Love hearing that. I, I want to switch gears if you're up for it in our conversation. Oh sure, sure. There's why not? Two more big topics. Uh, I've done ayahuasca in South America. And uh, I don't believe in recreational use of psychedelics. I think it's kind of dangerous. Um, but I've certainly, in my own experience, had some benefits from it. And I know literally hundreds of people um, who believe that they gained better awareness of their internal voices, even so they could apply trivium to it from, sure. from specific targeted use of, of psychedelics. What's your take on, on these things? Like what's their role in our culture and are they dangerous? <laughs> what's the deal? Sure. Well, that's a that's quite a, a double-edged sword there. I you know I've been an ethnomycologist for more than twenty years. I've written a couple of books on psychedelics. I've got a thousand-page manuscript sitting over there that I haven't published. <laughs> You're the right guy to ask, in other words. About six feet from. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've taken you know, and a lot of people will attack me. Jan Irvin, how could he dare say that McKenna and Larry and these guys were agents? Well, they said it themselves. I didn't say it. Well, when we say they're but, agents, what, what do you mean agents? Like agents of what agency or something? Well, most of them were were MKUltra operatives under the CIA. Right. For right. I have you to pick your brain about that. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, well, I mean, you know, we have a – there's a, a documentary or, or a video called A Conversation on LSD where Tim Leary is sitting in a group of people where, who we know, like Oscar Yoniger, we know is MKUltra. Sidney Cohen, we, we know is MKUltra. He's in a room of these guys, and he's talking about our undercover agents – that we're traveling around. Like, I mean, it's like, oh, okay. You so, know, well, he's in a room full of CIA guys and he's talking about his undercover agents, right? So but, for, for our listeners, I think some of them probably aren't on top of what MKUltra even is or was. Okay, good point. So MKUltra was a CIA program that ran from the around 1953 or 1956 in through the early 1970s until it splashed all over the media due to the Frank Olson murder. The CIA had murdered... Uh, one of their uh, uh, chemical engineers, Frank Olson, and threw him off the 10th floor uh, of a hotel in New York to hush him because he was going to go public about the CIA's LSD experiments on the entire village of Pont-Saint-Esprit in France that killed five people. And uh, so he, when he got back from that whole thing, he panicked, and then uh, George Hunter White uh, for the CIA had him killed. And then this uh, brought the uh, Church Commission ab about, which blew the, the roof off the uh, entire operation. So, so to get this out for people, about 40, 50 or so years ago, uh, the government was doing some psychedelic experiments on, with on people without on, their permission. All right. On, on uh, entire villages, entire cities. In mm -hmm. fact, we have Operation, uh, oh, shoot, a Midnight Climax up in San Francisco, and there was another location also where basically they would uh, have uh, little brothels set up and they would bring Johns in to have sex with these uh, women who would uh, dose them unaware and then the CIA guys would sit behind glass and giggle at these guys going out of their mind and do so-called studies, observe these, observe these guys going out of mind and collect, you know, blackmail information and stuff on them, et cetera. But the idea was really to see how they could use psychedelics to confuse people. Now, the military, okay. I should say, uh, I should mention, called psychedelics psychotomimetics, which means psychosis mimicking. It was Aldous Huxley and Humphrey Osmond who renamed them to psychedelics. And then later on, Gordon Wasson, who was the 
propaganda manager for J.P. Morgan Bank, and he also headed MKUltra Subproject 58. He and uh, Professor Carl Ruck at Boston University renamed them yet again or remarketed them the third time to Enthugens. Now, back to your question, you know, what do I think about the value of psychedelics? Have I tried them? One of the biggest attacks I get when people are new to my work and haven't read my books or the first 10 years of my research or my stuff stored at Purdue University Psychedelic Archives Library uh, forever, um, uh, they think that I've never tried psychedelics. I have, in fact. In fact, I've done psychedelics more than a thousand times. I've what's done your, what's ayahuasca. Your, what's your favorite one? My favorite is or was uh, mushrooms. I'm finding as I've gone through and done them so many times, I'm finding less and less benefit from them. From them now. You know, my co-author Joe Atwell of Caesar's Messiah and I were at, at different odds because I came through the psychedelic community to see the mind control and I can also see some of the benefits but they're very dangerous and what I can tell people is without a systematic method of processing information like the trivium you can get yourself in a big mess now I agreed the, by the way the 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 information that we have exposed on the psychedelic community and on the its founders shows that it was a CIA mind control operation. Now, you can ignore that. You can call me names and call me crazy all you want, but it doesn't dismiss the fact that the, that the quote-unquote discoverer of magic mushrooms was the PR man for J.P. Morgan Bank, Gordon Wasson, and headed, as we have the CIA documents for, headed MKUltra subproject 58. Hold on a second. Isn't that like saying Columbus discovered America when it was full of Indians? I mean, like, well, I, I well, know, I, I know that's cultures. why I said, quote, unquote, okay. discovered. Okay. <laughs> so now, obviously, the Mazatec Indians, who I give full credit to, had used them for hundreds or thousands of years before that. But he is the, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, discoverer. The Western guy. The rich white academic who brought it to the CIA and made them popular. We can put it that way, if that makes better sense. Got it. And so he is accredited for discovering them, and he is the one who popularized them in the May 13, 1957 Life magazine article, Seeking the Magic Mushroom. Now, Timothy Leary, a self-admitted agent, he claims to have gotten his knowledge of psychedelics from that article. Never mind, they all work together behind the scenes. That's a, a different subject that you just got to ignore and pretend that doesn't exist. Okay. But uh, we know that Leary and... Wasson were agents, their own words, their own documents, etc. So these are the key guys that found it. Not only that, we have a lot of information on Aldous Huxley, which we can go into it in a okay. bit. So, so your your position is that the the adoption of psychedelics in the West was led by government mind control MK Ultra stuff, right. rather now, than now, something else. Right okay. now, now let me now, let me put it this way: a lot of people will get confused here. Now, how could that be? Well, if we look at the origins of ethnobotany and ethnomycology as a field of study and what its purpose was. Originally, I thought it was to study the spiritual practices of ancient cultures, but what if it was actually more to study how shamans kept control of those cultures? And when we think of the shaman becomes the priest, the king, the government, we can see a, a line of progression there. And, you know, these guys wanting to get back to the stick with simple stuff of how the shaman control the stuff. I mean, in many cultures, the shaman was the huckster, the, the trickster, the, the manipulator, uh, the, the, the guy who did the sleight of hand and stuff. You, you, you know, put on a headdress, you do some peacocking, and, you know, you get all the women swarmed around you, right? Kind of and, like the and, presidency, right? Right. Well, sure. <laughs> or, 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 you know, any Hollywood uh, thing, they show, you know, some star with a bunch of lights flashing and, and look, everybody goes and they run off, run after them. This is actually when you get into Edward Bernays' earlier stuff, Edward Bernays actually created the pop culture idols. But, uh, you, right. you know, so right. anyway, what we're looking at is, is how these cultures use them for control. Now, there is also other aspects to them. I'm not saying that, you know, some form of spirituality doesn't exist. The quadrivium does show that something is out there, but it's not in any of the books that we've seen so far today. I mean, everything that I've seen so far is agenda-laden. So we're not saying that something doesn't exist, because if I stick a bunch of chemicals in a bucket together, I mean, it doesn't create life. And so something sparks that life. Okay, so, so you're, you have a, a very uh, distinguished background in psychedelic research, 
and um, you acknowledge that there is some spiritual spark out there, but we're still figuring out what it is if we ever right. do. Okay, that, that's a that's a let me let me just say let me say just one more point before okay. I let you continue on. Now, here's an issue that you know I've sort of been contemplating: is we have these stories in the Bible of uh, you know the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and and the fruit and you know Adam and Eve eating this fruit. And what if all of this was put there as a warning? because this had happened before. Now, when we, when we get into the history of psychedelics, the, the Lucinian mysteries in ancient Greece, etc., this was a government-sanctioned psychedelic religion that lasted for two or 4,000 years. I forget which right now. But it was government-sanctioned for that length of time, for well, who, thousands of years. Who cares if it was government-sanctioned? I mean, governments also well, sanction things like feeding people. That's kind well, of like well, because it's, it's sanctioned by the government, and it was controlled by two families for thousands of years. And so when we get into the history of this, when psychedelics are supposed to create individual spirituality and independent thought and all of this stuff, we can also see the other side of that how a government can offer psychedelics and say, you know, and become the good guy. Say, oh, look, see, we're giving you this. So now we're the good big brother. We're here to nurture you, even though we can read our history books and, and Plato's Republic and all of this stuff and know that they were up to the same shenanigans as governments today. Okay. I, 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 uh, I think there's probably a lot longer conversation we could have there, there is. around psychedelics, and, but we, wanna, I, we have to get to transhumanism. Sure in sure. order to fit this into our interview because and, and I do I do recommend people jump on my manufacturing the deadhead article with Joe Atwill on the Gnostic Media website it goes into a lot of detail on these issues there okay we'll put a link in the show notes to that and people can google for you so it's manufacturing the what the deadhead manufacturing the deadhead just google that and it should come up first I imagine you, you've got a good it amount should. of traffic on your site right okay cool Let's talk transhumanism. You've come out flat out and said it's, you know, a MK Ultra, I believe, um, plot to Well, it's not MK Ultra no. plot. It's it's the the people who were involved in MK Ultra were directly involved with the foundation of transhumanism as well. Okay. And why is uh, so for people listening who haven't heard of transhumanism, there's a couple different flavors of it. One of them is we're going to upload ourselves to a new kind of internet and, uh, you know, this is the Ray Kurzweil singularity stuff. Sure. And the other one is, you know, we're going to upgrade ourselves into, you know, basically cyborgs. Uh, right. And, and I would argue there's a third branch of transhumanism, one that, that you could say I'm a, a believer in, which is that you don't really need to replace your hardware until you've taken advantage of the hardware you have already. <laughs> Call it the overclocking side well, of things. Well, you know, I, I would be in the third camp with well, you there. And <laughs> you know, so let me be clear that I am not against uh, upgraded uh, self and taking, uh, excuse me while I sip some bulletproof coffee. <laughs> I guess that means you're not against the upgrade itself. <laughs> yeah, point. You you got my point there. And so, you know, what we're what we're looking at here is like, you know, looking at the trivium, you know, the the transhumanists will argue that, you know, people are not getting smarter. And well, you know, they're just dumb. Well, you know, I have quotes from Aldous Huxley where he says 95 or 99.5% of the population are imbecilic Philistines. And so um you know, the issue is when we get into the study of the classical trivium and quadrivium, we see how this education has been withheld from the masses since at least Plato's Republic's time, at least 2,500 years. We know from dictionaries and write-ups on it that it was always used to control the masses and manipulate them. It was withheld from the masses. And so this is why we're helping for the masses to get. The only way it can be used against you is if you don't have it. So my point here is that with intelligence and thinking, if you remove critical thinking, if you remove people's ability to gather information properly, then they're not going to be as thoughtful and as critical thinking or as intelligent, and then you're going to sit there and you're going to complain about it. Now, for instance, I have this uh, quote from, um, uh, let me see if I can find it here, from Sir Thomas More somewhere. Uh, he says, for if you, the rulers, suffer your people to be ill-educated and their manners to be corrupted from their infancy, and then punish them for those crimes to which their first education disposed them, what else could be concluded from this but that you first make thieves and outlaws and then punish them? And so 
what we have is this problem, and it's found throughout the compulsory education system today. John Taylor Gatta's work, Charlotte Iserbeet's work, etc. They've spent, you know, dedicated their lives to expose the uh, the dumbing down of the compulsory education system. So, obviously. Uh, the dumbing down isn't a hardware problem. We don't need our brains upgraded. We need the compulsory government education removed and the classical arts but brought back. It is a hardware problem. Uh, if your mitochondria are broken because you're eating what uh, some people have called slave food, <laughs> wheat. Sure. Well, and I, <laughs> okay. and I agree, and that's, but you're that's screwed. another, that's another issue because if we were taught the proper critical, you know, think, critical thinking and the proper seven liberal arts, we probably wouldn't be eating the the cow and pig food in the first place, and so uh, you know, <laughs> you know, there is that level also where the realization of what is food and what isn't. I mean, without the trivium, I may have come across your stuff, or I may not have. But with the trivium, I was already on the path. I, you know, fought looking at Sally Fallon's work for years, and then I finally got that little bit, and then I finally stepped over to to Dr. Davis's stuff, and then I finally got over to your stuff and mycotoxins, and then when I got to the mycotoxins, it was, it was, uh. Given your background in studying psychedelics, uh, that's why you connected that so well. Even most of the paleo community hasn't got the mycotoxin thing. Now, I, I just understood why you connected with that. Okay, cool, because you've studied some of it. Well, you know, and not only that, I was in and out of the hospital for 15 years and uh, got sick and tired of being sick all the time. <laughs> got sick and tired of being sick and tired. So, you know, uh, in 2009, after the doctors here in the States had, you know, 12 of them had totally proved their incompetence, I took a trip down to Arequipa, Peru, and uh, found a Harvard-trained gastroenterologist down there who cured two of my problems. And uh, I left Peru no longer feeling uh, the constant uh, gastrointestinal pains. But when I got back to the States, uh, the irritable bowel syndrome and other problems started reappearing right away. And it was a really weird, well, you know, I was totally healthy in Peru. What happened right when I got off the airplane? And so, of course, it was the mycotoxins and the weed and the processed foods. And, uh, you know, of course, the grain-fed beef and all that stuff isn't much better either. <laughs> well, you, you really have felt it. Okay, cool. Oh, I mean, I, I am uh, – you could call me somebody who is extremely hypersensitive to uh, toxins in the environment. So, you know, if I get something bad, I, I pretty much react immediately. I got it. So uh, you've, you've got the canary genes. Not so fun. Well, let's go back to the transhumanism yeah. thing. Blonde so, hair, too. Uh, that's right. At least you're not a redhead. Redheads have the most trouble. <laughs> Seriously, there's, it's really amazing. But uh, the sensitivity to anesthetics, everything's different when your hair is naturally red. Notice I said naturally. <laughs> but uh, now let's let's go back to transhumanism. All right, so you've got the canary genes. And maybe maybe we really should upgrade your hardware. I mean, let's do some viral slicing of some genetics. Sure. Let's just I mean, I, clear, clearly my stomach is bad. I need a metal mechanical stomach to function. And, you know, my heart, just to make sure I never get heart disease, that mm -hmm. just needs to be cut out and well, replaced. What, why not? Or, or you know, I mean, I don't put crackers in my Jeep. How about I don't put them in my stomach either? You know, my, my Jeep runs really well on oil. Hmm. Is there something to that? You yeah. know, my body runs really well on oil, I find out. You know, if I take a cracker and I light it, it just kind of flashes. You know, not that the law of thermodynamics, do I think, plays any part whatsoever on dietary calories. And you and I have talked, you know, about the absurdity of that theory in the past. But, um, you know, it's like how the body absorbs calories isn't necessarily how a, how a flame absorbs uh, something under it. But um, I, I, I get you there. But the, the point about transhumanism is that wouldn't you like to be more resilient? Like, let's say that we could replace parts of your GI tract sure. with a, a cool, you know, okay, let's say with a cool non-biological system versus just better cells. I don't know. I mean, would it make me feel better? Would I perform better? Or would eating the proper fuels do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, it, it, know, it might do the same thing, but I mean, seriously, wouldn't it be? It did to... do the same thing, actually. I can right, but it's it takes work. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice? No, we'll just go on, on a limb here. If you could just like pick up a branch in the forest and stick it in your mouth, and you'd be perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, if I was a koala bear, sure. Well, but, but, but you're, uh, you're either dodging the point or you're not hearing the question. Well, so I, it, I get the point. I mean, it, to me, it's like it's it's not a, a valid question. I mean, it's not looking at the root of the problem and looking for a real solution. It's sure it looking. It increase it's, human it's, resilience. Look, give, give me give me more fuel sources. Okay, okay. So I could get more fuel sources, but what would having a mechanical stomach do? I mean, would I enjoy food more? Would how would it? absorb things. I mean, it raises so many more questions than it does solutions and other potential problems and, and whatnots that rather than, you know, I know if I eat a, a, a solid, strong, paleo, mycotoxin-free diet, I'm going to achieve that result. And I know except for that one guy that you had, I know time and time and time again over thousands of results that the yeah. end result, is, except for that point oh 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 one yeah. guy, the result is going to be the same almost every single time without doubt. And I don't have any of these, you know, drastic unknowns that we're going to have to deal with. I so, mean, so you, your big concern there is the risk of transhumanism. Well, I mean, you know, number one, I'm not, I don't even like plastic boobs, but, you know, um, <laughs> Uh oh, did you talk about I what mean, you like? Because this is not a discussion about you know, what we like or well, don't like. Well, okay, well, true that. Well, you know, I, I you know, okay, granted, uh, you know, there's, there's questions there. Logically speaking, would I benefit with a metal stomach of some kind? I have no idea. It's possible um, is all I'm saying. It, it, it's, might, it, it, it might be possible, but it could cause 10 times more problems than it would fix. And just, you know, the fact of going through a major operation to have a metal stomach put in i mean there are the risks and complications with that and so many different things to factor in okay so when we when we go back down to the grammar level and apply critical thinking and we look at the options we go hey you know rather than eating tree branches why don't i just eat the proper food then i don't have to go through all of this uh as long as you have an assured supply of the proper food uh, that makes great sense Right. And so, you know, this, of course, goes back to critical thinking and making sure that people and governments don't interrupt our proper food supply and provide us that healthy pasteurized milk, you know. <laughs> uh, I couldn't agree more. Jan, it, it's been fun to talk logic and rhetoric and psychedelics and transhumanism and a few other cool things along the way. We are out of time on our show today. Already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for coming on. Can you lay down your URL, your Twitter, your Facebook, and whatever other things you want to do? And then I've got to ask you one more question. Sure. The uh, The main Gnostic Media website is just GnosticMedia.com. That's G-N-O-S-T-I-C Media.com. For those who want to study more on the Trivium Education, that's TriviumEducation.com, T-R-I-V-I umeducation.com and uh you know if that's the main stuff i mean sometimes i tweet or whatever but i'm not too into that awesome and thank you we'll put all those links in the show notes so people have access uh, to your to your research and to your writing now final question the one i've asked everyone on the show top three recommendations for people who want to perform better based on your whole life experience it doesn't have to be anything we talked about on the show well, eat a lot of fat, eat the fat off your steak. Um, listen to what your grandparents and parents said, at least in my generation. And, um, you know, ignore uh, the dietary advice from the doctors to eat your healthy whole, whole grains and uh, that sort of stuff. Kill your television would be another good one. Uh, listen to Dave Asprey and Gnostic Media. <laughs> and there you go. A little plug there. No one's plugged themselves <laughs> or anyone else in one of those answers but, before. Uh, you say you know, but, you know, one of these days uh, I will have to put together a full show or something on just the, the transhuman, transhumanism aspect because there is such a, a vast amount to go in there and uh, it is surrounded with eugenics. We hardly touched on it, but the entire operation was created by uh, well, the term transhumanism came from Julian Huxley, who ran the British Eugenics Society and UNESCO, and his brother Aldous Huxley did work for the CIA and headed uh, MKUltra. So a lot there we need to get into one day. I'd love to chat about it some more. Jan, thanks for coming on the show. Have an awesome day. If you're listening to the show now and you're in front of your computer not driving, 
I'd really appreciate it if you took a second to go on to iTunes and click like or give a review or whatever exactly it is you do on on the iTunes app versus on the website. I always forget. Anyway, tell the world that this show is useful and fun and interesting. If you would, I'd sure appreciate it. Thanks again, Jan. Thanks, Dave. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.